Health Voice, Episode 102, Hazardous Waste. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What do you need to know about hazardous waste in your home or healthcare facility? Jim O'Leary and Chris Archambault join me to discuss what the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality can do to help make sure your waste is properly stored and disposed. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, you know, I was thinking about this. I don't know a whole lot of fifth graders that as if you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, their answer will not be a hazardous waste inspector for DEQ. How did you get into this career? Oh, yeah, that's a really long, long answer. Uh, I, I have a degree from Old Dominion University in environmental health. I've always, uh, as soon as I was introduced to environmental, I, I knew that was the way I needed to go. And I first job was with a consulting firm that did all sorts of sampling and investigation for groundwater, soil, military, municipal, all sorts of facilities. And then I started doing environmental assessments because I still enjoyed it. And this job just happened to come up. I had never really dove really deep into has waste before. And I did think I knew something about it before I started working here, but that uh, was proven wrong very quickly. I've learned so much more about has waste than I ever thought was even out there uh, prior to this point. So it's it's been an amazing journey, but I do love has waste. Believe it or not, it sounds crazy, but I do love has waste. So Jim, how did you decide on a career in environmental waste? I had been in consulting for a long time. And I want to get in government. And the truth is, my best friend worked for EPA. And I said to him, Dave, remember that job I got you at White Castle when we were growing up? (laughs) I said, you owe me one. Just give me an interview. That's all I ask. So he got me the interview and everything else is history. Um, I got involved uh, first in the budget shop at EPA. Then I wanted to get involved with the program. And so I uh, pretty much... I had, when I was in the budget shop, I handled the hazardous waste account, and so I really found it interesting. But I wanted to just, again, get on the program side and write regulations and policy. And, you know, basically I worked my way into that shop, and I was there for over 30 years. Excellent. And laying the groundwork, Jim, what is hazardous waste? Well, hazardous waste to me, you know, is, uh, is again, waste that has certain properties that are dangerous to human health and the environment. And by properties, I mean, in our particular case, uh, whether in fact it might be ignitable, corrosive, reactive, toxic, or even acutely toxic. But the whole idea is somehow, if mismanaged, it can pose a, a threat to human health and the environment. Chris, what do you think is in my house right now that you would consider to be hazardous waste? Probably more than you would imagine. Oh, no. uh, uh, household hazardous waste is it's very popular, and there's, as I said, more than you could ever imagine. If if you go into your garage or your basement and you find old paint, aerosol cans, we have found people that emptied garages from a loved one or a house they just purchased, and people had. They had metal. They had like a five-pound container of mercury 
for whatever reason. Sometimes it's an old business. Sometimes it's just a renovation they did years ago and thought somehow we'll get back to this, but that's all considered household hazardous waste. Also any fluorescent light bulbs, reusable batteries, thermometers, electronics that have metal components in them, all of those things are household hazardous waste. And Jim, what do people need to know about storage and disposal of that waste? Well, when it comes to household hazardous waste, I mean, the regulations are, they're, they're non-existent. Other than the fact that for household hazardous waste, the key is there are very, there are numerous collection programs out there for this waste. The whole idea is, is, is to take it to that collection facility or that's a penny, pretty much a collection, collection facility and let, uh, it's basically the local governments handle that waste. And by that, they'll either recycle it or dispose of it correctly. Um, throwing it down the sewer and then when it comes to like pills or things like that or throwing it into their regular trash, that can lead ultimately, potentially anyway, to problems downstream. You have to be aware of the fact that this goes back to the 1960s and 1970s when, well, it wasn't so much household hazardous waste, but it was industrial solid waste. And companies were basically dumping in the back 40. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Superfund program. Well, that's how it ended up. All this mismanagement of hazardous waste ended up creating a Superfund program where, for all intents and purposes, billions upon billions of money has been spent cleaning up Superfund sites or you know mismanaged uh, sites. You know that's household hazardous waste. You know, just to be clear, you know you could have you have household hazardous waste and you have waste basically generated by commercial industrial facilities, and that waste is regulated, and that's the key. And, you know, you have to follow if, in fact, you're generating a hazardous waste. Uh, let's say it could be a healthcare facility. It could be an auto body repair shop. There's hundreds of thousands of these facilities that generate hazardous waste, and they have to comply with the applicable regulations. And so as a homeowner, what do I need to know about disposal of the waste that I generate in my own home? Well, you should be aware. First of all, that's a good question, Beth. I mean, first, I question how many people are really aware of all of the household hazardous waste that we, as homeowners, you know, generate. So I think one is a, it's an awareness issue, and two, once you have an awareness issue, it's basically trying to, you know, do the right thing. In other words, you want to basically have a good environment, and so when it comes to aerosol cans or batteries or some of the you know the types of waste that Chris mentioned. Yeah, you know, again, you don't really want to basically put it into the missile solid waste stream. What you want to be able to do is send those particular types of waste to collection facilities that can, again, manage those wastes in the proper manner, including recycling them. Like aerosol cans can be recycled. Batteries can be recycled. Uh, solvents, spent solvents can be recycled. So there's lots of opportunity if we, you know, if we take the opportunity basically to follow to do the right thing in terms of, um, you know, sending these waste or taking these waste to collection facilities that you can basically recover them and reuse them. So you really basically, it's a really good idea, I think, to, to try to, again, take these waste to these collection facilities and the potential is there to recycle it, if not manage it properly. And how do I find out where the collection facilities in my area are? You know, one easy thing to do is Google. You know, just basically type in collection facilities near me. 
and you'll see, you'll probably get some websites or conversely, call your local government, your county government, okay? Um, but between Google and calling up your county government, I'm sure they can help you out. There's no doubt about it. I have no doubt because I've done that. It works really good, just Googling. Great. That's easy. So, Chris, are there any differences in proper storage of disposable of hazardous waste in rural communities that people need to know about? Well, the, the one thing you want to make sure you do is you're, you're doing the best thing you can with that chemical or item that you're not going to introduce chemicals to your family. So if you have fluorescent lamps, they have mercury in them. The key is you want to make sure they're not going to break. And if they were to break, that they're contained. So if you get new lamps, you can put the old ones in the same box, tape it closed. That way, if the box ends up being dropped or falling over, you know that that mercury isn't going to get out. When it comes to things like paints, if the can is in good condition, just save it until you're going to go to the household hazardous waste day or the program and take it with you. If it's rusting, you want to put it in a five-gallon bucket, close that bucket so that the stuff that's in the paint doesn't get out and cause issues. A lot of people call and wonder, you know, what to do with pharmaceuticals that they don't need. A lot of times they've got leftovers that, that were left over for years and they really could be really bad things. So they, you can either put them in a coffee can and with some kitty litter and close it up, tape it and put it into the landfill. Or you can go to most of your pharmacies now have blue med boxes and you, you're welcome to take any prescriptions you have, any drugs you have, and put them in there, and they will have them properly incinerated. That's one of the best things you can do. Twice a year by us, the DEA holds drug take-back days, where you can take any medication to spe several locations in your area, and you can hand them those medications, and they will make sure that they are properly incinerated. They're trying to avoid having these prescriptions and other things going into landfills. Some of your larger counties do have household hazardous waste programs that are ongoing. Uh, Fairfax County up here, you can go every day of the week and drop off your paints, your uh, electronics, your lamps, any leftover pesticides and gasoline and used oil. You can bring that every day. Other counties have two days a week. Some of them only have like one day a, a year that you can go and bring all of your stuff. But you kind of have to know your county if you call the Solid Waste Division or the landfill, they can let you know what their program is. Also, as Jim said, Googling, when someone calls and leaves a message for me, the first thing I do is search online to see if I have I can get the answer right away for them. Now, you mentioned pharmaceuticals. You, several times, VRJ has promoted Drug Take Back Day as a way to get drugs that aren't being used out of the homes to make sure that they're not being used by, you know, maybe your grandkid is taking mm -hmm. them out of purpose or um, somebody who comes into work at your house might steal them, things like that, you know, to address substance use disorder. But I'd never thought of it in terms of hazardous waste. What's the big deal about me dumping extra pills in the garbage? Well, the problem is when they get into the landfills and then it rains, those pharmaceuticals, the, the parts of them that are toxic, get into our groundwater. They affect the fish and the larvae and the, the plants. They can also get into uh, freshwater areas and they can contaminate and you can't even see them, but they're there. 
So there's there's a danger on both sides, one for abuse and another is for concerns for the environment because a lot of people think, well, if I just put them in the, down the sink or into the toilet, they won't be abused and they'll be gone. But wastewater treatment facilities don't treat for the specific chemicals in those pharmaceuticals. They treat for biologics. That's how they clean the water. But they a lot of times don't have, they just have nothing they can do with that. Or even liquid nicotine. People are you know, doing a lot of vaping now. And nicotine is actually an acute has waste. It's very toxic. It's acutely toxic. If you touch it at a certain concentration, it can make you physically ill. So if you have a vape pen or someone found a vape pen and it's leaking, that can be very dangerous. And if you were to put that in the trash or down the drain, it's also very dangerous because these wastewater treatment facilities cannot clean nicotine out of the water and then it stays in the discharge and then affects the environment. When I was back at EPA, I was on the peripheral of the hazardous waste pharmaceuticals rule. And one of the big reasons why that rule was promulgated was what Chris said, and that is you had people flushing down, you know, pharmaceuticals down the sewer, the wastewater treatment uh, plant couldn't treat it, and fish were being adversely affected big time by these pharmaceuticals. And mm-hmm. so one of the big, you know, we have to justify rules. That, well, I say we, when I was back at EPA, we have to justify the rule. And one of the big reasons was the adverse effect on the environment. That is fish in particular. I like fish. I need to take care of my fish. Therefore, we need to take care of the pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. So with that, Jim, what do you see as the difference between hazardous waste that I need to think of in terms of my home as opposed to what do healthcare facilities need to consider? This is a complicated story here. I mean, again, what we were trying to, the message that one of the messages we're trying to send to an audience, whether it be yours or otherwise, is the fact that that a lot of the waste that we generate at home is also generated at a healthcare facility. Okay, and the, the first thing is being aware. Okay, and that gets in, I'm not sure I'm getting too bureaucratic here, but you know, the, the point is, is that facilities, healthcare facilities or otherwise, just, you have to have process and procedures. You have to, first, the most important thing is to be aware of the potential hazardous waste that you might be generating. Because if you don't, you're going to be mismanaging that waste. And like Chris said before, the potential exists to have adverse impacts on the environment. So awareness, you know, process and procedures. Now, what are you dealing with? Whether it be aerosol cans or pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals, all have to have process and procedures to be aware of whether, in fact, they might be a hazardous waste when discarded. Once you identify whether, in fact, you've generated a hazardous waste, then the regulations kick in. Now we're talking about we're not talking about household hazardous waste. We're talking about facility hazardous waste, healthcare facility or otherwise. And you have to be aware of how much you generate, what type of hazardous waste you generate. And follow the, you know, the basically the applicable rules. Sometimes they are being complicated. Sometimes it's pretty basic. But the whole idea is, is number one, be able to, you know, accurately identify the hazardous waste that you generate. Which, by the way, I might add, is one of the biggest problems that we have. Not just for healthcare facilities, but facilities in general. So, what types of hazardous waste are typical for healthcare facilities? Healthcare facilities are going to have a lot of the same ones we already talked about. They're going to be generating hazardous waste in pharmaceuticals. So it starts with the pharmacy. 
And if you have a pharmaceutical on a, a med room floor, a patient can't take it, or for some reason it drops on the floor, it can't be given, that is now a waste. And the nurse at the time has to figure out, is this a hazardous waste? It goes back to what Jim said about having processes and procedures. So if the pharmacy had a list of all the medications that could be a hazardous waste, then there's no thought to it because that nurse knows it's on the list or I've been identified on the container that this is going to be a has waste if it cannot be dispensed and used as it was supposed to. You also have IV bags. If you have someone getting a cancer treatment, if that cancer drug is actually a hazardous waste, then the IV bag, if you have any left over, the whole thing is a hazardous waste. So that's just one part is the pharmaceuticals. Then you have cleaning and maintenance. Maintenance in any building is going to generate used lamps. It's going to generate used batteries. All of your emergency signs that light up when the lights go out, those all have rechargeable batteries. In, in a lot of bigger buildings, you have large HVAC systems that need coils cleaned. They use a corrosive to do that, or they need WD-40 to grease things. All of those aerosols would be a has-waste if, you know, when they're, even when they're empty, they're a has-waste because there's residuals in the cans and there's also the propellant. Odd things you find at healthcare facilities that you don't necessarily find other places, if they do x-rays, the lead aprons contain lead. Lead above five parts per million is a hazardous waste. You have a solid lead apron, it's going to be a hazardous waste. You can't just throw it in the trash. And believe it or not, those aprons do degrade. They expire and you have to get new ones. If they have old style x-rays, old developer and x-ray uh, fluids, you can get silver out of those. Silver is also a metal that's a has waste. And then some of those items could also be corrosive or the pH could be not, not uh, it could be corrosive, acidic, basic, and sometimes flammable. All of those properties can make a waste hazardous waste. And also a lot of a lot of hospitals and larger facilities have laboratories. When you do laboratory testing on tissues and blood, a lot of times you're using solvents to do that. And when the solvent is used up, when it's done, it's a has waste in most cases. It's either flammable or it's actually listed because it's a certain type of solvent that can also be flammable at the same time. So there's a lot of places within typical healthcare facilities that you're going to find hazardous waste. The key is knowing what those waste streams are and then making sure that you're managing them correctly because RICRA is cradle to grave. Cradle to grave means the moment it becomes a waste until you receive paperwork back that says it was properly disposed. So you do have to know at the moment you generate it that that's a has waste so you can properly manage it and stay within the confines of the regulations and in compliance all the way to the end. So what happens if a healthcare facility is out of compliance? Well, RICRA, the, the RICRA violations, they can be hefty. But in Virginia, we do our best as we're doing with trainings and everything else, trying to make everyone aware of what the rules are and help them with compliance. Our goal is protecting human health and the environment. It's not giving fines. It's not putting your name in the paper. It's compliance and, and health. It's care. It's making sure everyone is safe. So we do inspect facilities based on what size generator they are. The more you generate, the larger the generator status you have. And uh, we do, we go 
do inspections. And during those inspections, we give a lot of information about what we see and how it should be done and, and what we typically see and ways to make the regulations work for your facility. You know, a way to, a way to count, a way to manage, get a disposal facility. They're always very helpful when it comes to managing your waste from the point you, they'll take it to a proper disposal. It's knowing what you need to do and recognizing that that is helpful. Here's an irony, okay? And that is when, whether it be a commercial or industrial facility, whether they're making a product or providing a service, you have to have processes and procedures, okay? It's, it's inherent to basically be successful. The irony of is that when it comes to waste, you know, not all facilities, in fact, you know, I haven't done that many inspections, but in terms of processes and procedures, they're just not out there in many cases. Okay, I'm not talking about healthcare facilities per se. I'm talking about just about every type of facility. Waste is a challenge. You know, it's, it, there's no value in waste. I mean, it's a cost to the company. Okay, right. and, uh, but the point of the matter is, is that um, you, know, you need a process and procedure for dealing with the waste that you might generate. So if a hospital or clinic leader, or at this point, anybody uh, is concerned about hazardous waste storage and disposal at their facility, what can they do to learn more? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, they, they have to want to, independent of us, but let's just talk about us, DEQ. We're here to serve, okay? And we are very much willing to do any type of training, to, to do on-site technical assistance, um, but they have to be willing to want that, okay? And it's, in their, it's their, their benefit. I mean, basically, it, it, you want to be, whether it be a healthcare facility or otherwise, you want to be within the rules. You want to comply with the rules because you don't want to have that, you know, have that impact of adverse impact being caused by basically the mismanagement of a particular hazardous waste, particularly if, in fact, you didn't identify it in the first place, which is really the key. Independent of DEQ, if people want to spend the money, they can get contractors on to do training. It'll cost them money, but there's all types of opportunities for them, any particular facility, healthcare or otherwise, to basically get in place the process and procedures to do the right thing from identifying waste all the way through to managing and disposing of it properly, if not in some cases, recycling the waste. I've got some good options here too. So number one is if you're in a facility and you're part of a group like this, the, the Rural Hospital Association, you can reach out to someone at another facility and say, hey, what do you do with has waste? Find out their, what they've said was the pitfalls, what worked great, a disposal facility or a disposal company that they've used that is, is helpful in, in helping them to manage and make sure that they're doing it correctly. Also, the EPA has got wonderful websites. And when we talk about pharmaceuticals and healthcare facilities, the new farms rule came out in 2019 because everyone recognized that healthcare facilities are unique and that they not only have a few employees generating a few waste streams, they've got hundreds of employees at some times. When you talk about nurses in a large hospital, that are all generators of this waste. And so they, they put out some great documents. One is called a 10-step blueprint for healthcare facilities managing hazardous waste. And that, that is specific to healthcare facilities. It talks about all the types of waste that they're going to encounter. And it 
and it was just updated in 2022, very up-to-date, has the new regulations in it, and it has a lot of options and ideas for small facilities all the way up to large facilities. There's also a small business guide to hazardous waste that the EPA updated in 2019 that talks about RECRA, about the program, about what it means to be a generator. What kind of generator are you? How do you figure out? What are some typical wastes that are hazardous waste? All these things are a great introduction to, hey, let me look at my facility and see what, what, you know, what we have that might be a hazardous waste. Those are some easy ways to kind of jump in and get your feet wet. And beyond that, if you can find, as I said, another facility, a similar facility that, that has gone through this and it has a robust program, especially if they've been inspected, because when they're inspected in Virginia, we do give a lot of compliance assistance. So there's definitely information that they could glean from somebody else. And as I said, what they learned worked, didn't work, you know, what made it difficult for compliance, and all of that can be great resource. And, you know, it's the difference between the what and the how. Uh, you know, a lot of the information that we put out and EPA puts out is the what, what you have to do and all that. But I don't think they really uh, talk about the how, you know, which gets you into process and procedures. And I think that gets you into technical assistance in terms of, look, this is how you're supposed to do this. This is how you should do it. And so I just want to emphasize that, that um, there's the what and there's also the how. And I think mm-hmm. some people can understand the what, but they also have to understand the how. And of course, we can include the links to all those resources on the show notes for this podcast so people can look them up. Definitely. But Chris, I, I want a question. A couple of times you mentioned something and I was like, I'm not sure if I know what that is. You said something about referring to RECRA or RUCRA or, or something. <laughs> what, what, what is that? That is has waste. That is the Resource Conservation Recovery Act. And that is the management of hazardous waste. It was, it was created by the EPA back in 1976 ish. And uh, from there, it's, it's, that's where the regulations were born to try to prevent all of these has waste spills and these, these facilities and these sites that were already contaminated. They wanted to prevent, prevent that in the future. So RICRA is basically our way of identifying and managing hazardous waste. And of course, VRHA, in partnership with DEQ, we're hoping to have some educational information beyond this uh, surface level stuff at the podcast, hopefully at future events. And we will make sure we promote those and let folks know that that resource is available. So we're here now trying to reach all the healthcare facilities in Virginia that we can. But the key is, has waste has always been here. Has waste has already you you were already required to be managing it correctly prior to us bringing this out today. This isn't a new idea. Hazardous waste has always been generated and at some level at all facilities, and it and it has to be managed correctly. So, if we're playing catch up, that's fine. We're going to look forward to today and moving forward. But this isn't something new. This isn't something that we're introducing and telling everybody because all of a sudden you have to do something. No, you should already be doing this. <laughs> we're just trying to make sure the word gets out farther and more understanding is out there so we can try to increase the compliance that we see when we inspect. Sure. And so part of what I hear you say is you're not necessarily out to get people. You're there to help make improvements to move forward. We are. Our Absolutely. goal is compliance. Mm-hmm. 
So I have one last question, the question I ask all my guests, and I'll ask each of you. So Jim, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? You know, I think communications are the, are the key, making people aware of what's out there uh, in terms of what facilities may be out there, what they can do. So I think communications are just so critical um, and making people aware of, of um, again, uh, what's out there. All right. What about you, Chris? If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? Outreach. Outreach. Kind of along the same lines as Jim, I feel like the more, the farther out we can get, the more people who can have an understanding, the better our environment will be. And if you can take something like this and go, hey, in my house, I've got all this sitting out back. I should look for a household hazardous waste program. There's a win right there. Somebody who previously didn't understand that this is, it goes into a landfill. It's not gone. It's there forever. Um, if you can get that understanding out there, I think that would make a, our world a better place and Virginia a much cleaner place to live. Excellent. Well, thank you, both of you. I appreciate you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. We had a great time. That's Jim O'Leary and Chris Archambault discussing the need to communicate and provide outreach. Check the show notes for links to additional information and upcoming educational opportunities. 